Uh, this morning we're going to have, um, I, hope you, yeah, I hope you will enjoy it. You know, many times, um, you know, you've heard a lot talk about what's your story and you hear stories and I don't know where each one of you are individually, but I love the fact of hearing one's story because it is their story. It's not something that could be counteracted by media or anybody else because it's their story. And the, the journey of redemption that these two gentlemen have gone through in their, in their story, and their story is still ongoing, it's not over, it's still ongoing. But I, we, we were, you know, the leadership team, we were just thinking it was something to share because uh, the reality of what some people go through for what they believe in, what happens when they take a fall when things don't go the way they want, and how you go about that. So I'd like to uh, introduce uh, two people first. This is Yuli. Yuli, you know, Yuli is Reyes. And uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Yuli. Oh, by the way, I understand they brought their fan club with them. There's about five or six gentlemen here that know them very well. So if you're hearing a little jazz, see, see, I knew, I knew we had some fan club here. So that's good. Go ahead, Yuli. Uh, my name is uh, Yuli Reyes. Uh, Yuli is short for Ulysses. Um, and uh, I've uh, been in Tennessee now, Nash and Franklin, for about, God, almost 20 years now. It's crazy. But um, I, I own a hair salon here uh, around the, uh, Third Avenue. Third Avenue North. I'm, I'm a, I've been a hair, I'm a, I'm a hairstylist, salon owner, and uh, good. a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Go ahead, Al. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's an honor, a pleasure to be here this morning with you. My name is Alvaro, but my short name is Al. Uh, I'm from Nicaragua, and well, I'm here working with Mr. Yuli. <laughs> and just to cue it up, I thought it would be helpful to know where they are today. And, and Yuli has an establishment here in the community. And as we'll learn, Al is here seeking political asylum. And uh, we'll hear the story about how that, how he got here and how that's all about. So, um, guys, wanna, we can sit in the chair. You can take, take the mic off there if you want to hold the mic. But what, 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 to start a little bit, <coughs> Yuli, tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, you were, my understanding is you were born in Venezuela. And somehow you got, ended up in East L.A., and then all of a sudden you ended up in Franklin. So that seems like a weird travel. So tell us a little bit about your story. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was, uh, my mom and dad, uh, my dad was Cuban. My mom was Venezuelan. Uh, my dad was a circus performer. Um, and they met in, uh, he was in a trapeze, and he saw my mom and fell in love with her. And, You've he been says, swinging a whole life, huh? I'm going to marry you, <laughs> which was pretty romantic. They got an incredible story. But um, uh, my mom was 15 when they, she got married and 16 when she had me. And uh, from Venezuela, we ended up living in Cuba. And uh, at the age of six, I, uh, we had to flee Cuba for because of the communism and, and Castro and stuff. And, we had to just leave everything there. My, my dad, fortunately, was, was able to go to Canada first as a performer. Um, my dad was, again, a performer. And um, 
So uh, we went into Canada, and from Canada we went down to the World's Fair in 1962 um, in Seattle. That's when they opened the space, the, the needle thing. It was pretty cool. But um, I always grew up with the understanding that we fled uh, Cuba, and uh, which made me and it made us all immigrants. And uh, I'll tell you, I grew up uh, thanking God for being able to be in the United States uh, every day. Every day we were grateful uh, for, for being able to be in the U.S. Um, we'll fast forward some. Uh, my, my dad uh, ended up performing in Las Vegas for quite a while. Um, and at the age of, I was 11, he was 33, he had a car accident. He, uh, we ended up moving to LA. Um, my mom hated the desert, uh, Las Vegas. And so we, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, ended up getting in a car accident when he was 33. And uh, all of a sudden I found myself uh, with the possibility of not having a dad. Um, they gave him about five years to live, uh, being a paraplegic and uh, ended up living 47 years, which is crazy. Uh, my mom took care of him like a baby, and so the doctors used to say, oh my gosh, that, that somebody to care about you and, and have that purpose to live. Anyway, uh, fast forward some. Uh, I, uh, I was 11, and at that point, my dad ended up in the hospital for about three years uh, in those days being a paraplegic, quadriplegic, or anything like that, it, it, it was a long process to, of any kind of recovery, um, which found myself in the streets of, of, of LA, uh, and that became my, my family. Uh, became a gang member, uh, got hooked up with the, the LA gangs. Um, uh, which were Mexicans, basically, and uh, so it, it, I found community there, which was kind of crazy. Uh, everybody has a longing for community and being part of something. So um, as a uh, gang member, I, I excelled into vice president of my uh, my hood, and uh, but I was still really young. And at 14, I started realizing that, uh, first of all, I wasn't Mexican to be in a Mexican gang. Um, but it got dangerous. Uh, people were getting hurt. Uh, I lost three friends to drive-bys and, and beat, they just beat them to the pulp to death. And uh, I said, this is getting serious. I, I'm not even Mexican. <laughs> so uh, I, I need out. Well, it turns out that you just can't leave a gang. So uh, I gravitated towards uh, gymnastics in, in, in junior high. and. And be, I excelled really quickly because uh, my dad was an acrobat, and I grew up doing acrobatics, and uh, everything came to me easily. Um, so, uh, at the age of uh, 15, um, the Los Angeles school district uh, really they didn't really care about me. We were just a, I was just a guy there, and uh, during the gymnastics thing, I. I um, I was excelling so rapidly that uh, they had some scouts from UCLA came came down and they said, "Hey, have you ever considered a scholarship?" And I said, uh, "What's that?" And I, w I wasn't uh, again. I, I 
I didn't know much, and, and I went. They, go, they, they suggested I go talk to a counselor, and I did. And counselor, I told him, hey, uh, uh, scholarship, uh, UCLA, and he kind of smirked at me, and he nodded his head, and he goes, uh, it, 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 uh, I don't think so. Um, you're, I had a third, I found out that I had a second going into a third grade education in the 10th grade, and I'm going, Wow, I never knew that. Nobody told me that. And I said, how do I, how do I excel that? And he goes, no, it's almost impossible, but I'll, I'll let you know what to do. And, uh, and I said, well, I, you know, he goes, and then he said, said something that struck fear in my, in my heart <laughs> and in my mind that uh, the only thing I was going to be was a laborer. I didn't even know what that word meant. And then he explained that that's like laying bricks or painting or landscaping and stuff. And I'm going, I know that my dad didn't raise me to be any of that. Uh, I needed something more. And so I, I really tried to excel in my education and realized that nobody really cared. And uh, I couldn't go anywhere with it. So uh, I'm going to shorten the story a little. I ended up uh, leaving school after my third friend got killed. They put him underneath a car. I don't know if the Mexican, have you seen those cars that go and They put him under one of those and crushed him. And so I said, it scared the crap out of me, basically. Uh, I need to leave. So I, um, I, so other events happened where I was able to find a, a guy who wanted to put an act together, and he lived in Dallas. So I, uh, I left my home with my dad's blessing and my mom's blessing to become a performer. And uh, I left my house to, be, to join the circus, basically, which was kind of crazy. So um, at 17, I, my, my 17th birthday, two days after, I was in Lima, Peru, and uh, started my career in, as a performer, uh, acro-balancing act with another guy. and. Uh, I started making money and everything, so that that, that was amazing. Did, did you at that time? Did you really have any relationship with your faith? I mean, obviously, you probably my, you probably my, grew my, up Catholic my, or something. Yeah, I, I grew up Catholic, um, which was really interesting because I, I grew up. I was a good Catholic in in California in Los Angeles. Uh, I was really I'd go to church two three times a week, even by myself, and just stay in the pew and pray and, and talk to God. And, and uh, I was looking for a, a religious or a church community in Dallas and realized that Catholicism was different there. And then I ended up going to Peru and realized that Catholicism was totally different there. Then uh, my profession took me to many places around the world. Uh, after that, I went to Brazil. And everywhere I went, I, I'd, I'd go to church and realize how different everything was. I ended up in Italy. The state. I lived in Italy for a year, and uh, Catholicism there was just like, wow, this is this is kind of really different. So I went on a search for who God was and what I believed in and why, and uh, that that was an interesting journey. And which no, you me. hadn't met your wife yet, right? My wife? No, no, that wasn't. That was, okay, so as a, uh, for a circus, I, I was a circus performer. And a lot of people that know, know me and stuff, they, they, a lot of friends say, oh, he was a circus performer for a very short period. Out of my 20 years, I had a 20-year career 
and uh, the last 14 years of that was a Las Vegas performer, which is uh, every performer's uh, dream is to work Vegas, not just work Vegas, but stay in Vegas and become a household word there. Um, I had a beautiful life there, a lot of networking. Uh, everywhere I went, I was pretty much a celebrity, every, uh, recognized everywhere. My, name's, my name were, it was on the billboards and everything. So, And at that point, I started really searching for my faith, realizing that, oh gosh, God, God you've put me here. And uh, I just saw that movie, uh, Jesus Revolution. That was me. Allergies. <laughs> Just, uh, that's funny. Uh, so, so as you were doing a searching there, you, you, you met, yeah. your, met your wife, but then, but then the, the whole big question we're hearing is how did you ever end up in Franklin? Well, okay, so I got married, met my, my lovely wife, ex-wife now, but uh, still in love with her, but um, she didn't want to be married anymore, but um, we both hated Las Vegas because it was a desert, and uh, always dreamed about living somewhere like, like this. And um, as we were struggling through our marriage, uh, she, uh, I said, let's move to Franklin. Her, her sister lives here, so we came to visit and fell in love with Franklin. I, I approached coming over here like I do mission work. Uh, I've, I've done short-term missions for quite a while. That's another story, but um, but uh, God opened all the doors here. It was, it was incredible, and, and every, the fact that everybody was so friendly here. So, so when did this cycle? Because we are going to pull the pieces together. How right. God brought the two of you together. When did you come and first meet? You know. Okay, so dur during that time, like I said, I, I do short mission work. Um, after after the divorce, I, I, I kind of got, got really upset at God and didn't want any part of him. I went into this reckless thing with uh, just, I've been so conservative all my life, forget it, for what? God, you don't love me anymore. <laughs> uh, so, uh, that was a turning point, uh, really a major turning point in your life. Yeah, it was a ma major turning point. Uh, so, I, uh, I stopped doing mission work, and uh, I went through this period of just kind of like, Something was missing again. It was a, a total thing, and, and finally came to grips that I, I needed to uh, forgive. And that was this unforgiveness thing was horrible. And I finally forgave. I went through some processes with through friends and stuff like that. That once I forgave, I came back to life. And uh, coming back to life, I realized that uh, missions was a big part of my life. And my pastor. Uh, I remember telling him that, and he goes, "Hey, you want to? We're going to Nicaragua. Um, you want to go?" And I said, "Yeah, I can interpret and I can go." So he goes, "Give me your credit card." And like a yeah. half hour later, I, I had a flight. No, what, what year was that? Two thousand. Two thousand nine. Nine? No, it was two thousand. See, two thousand. My mom had just died. Yeah, my dad had just died. Yeah, it was 2009. 2009, you went to Nicaragua. So, I went to Nicaragua, and uh, it was like coming home. It was really weird. Um, it, I, I felt I belonged there. Um, and within three months, I went down to Nicaragua three times. So 
and one of those, uh, the third time, fourth time I went down, I was, uh, I was told to open up a, I, I was led to open up a beauty school in Nicaragua to help these girls. Um, when I found out that these girls would prostitute themselves for $2, uh, and I'm talking girls like, like 12, 13, 14 years old, um, I realized that uh, they, they would do that for $2. And I said, how much, how much do people pay for haircuts? They go about $1.50, $2.50. I'm going, so if I teach them how to do hair and be business ladies, they don't have to do that anymore. He goes, yeah. So I started really praying about this, and God says, I want you to do this. I said, I can't do that. And he says, trust me. And uh, I, I can almost hear his voice saying, I, I can. And uh, I said, okay. So I started doing that. And just, just like really short after that, like a, a month after that, I meet uh, uh, Eddie from uh, NGO there, a nonprofit uh, out of Virginia. Orphan Network. Orphan, Orphan Network. And uh, I was telling him what I was thinking about doing, and he goes, oh my gosh, that is so needed here. And uh, he goes, and I've got the perfect guy for you. His name is Alvaro, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hook you guys together. Okay, and, let's, uh, let's segue now and, and bring Al, Al up to this point in time as to a little bit of your story, Al. And <laughs> well, let, let me, because uh, I find out that, first of all, he's just this kid. He's 25, 24, 25 years old, and he uh, his, his, finds out he's, I find out he was an orphan. He was abandoned and an orphan, and the networking uh, he, that he had and he knew everybody, and he knew exactly what I needed, and, he, and we just kind of clicked, and boom, here he was, helping me like crazy. Uh, I couldn't have done it without him. Uh, it was just, it was just crazy. Go ahead. Good. Okay. And, and, and he's going to try to do the abbreviated version. I mean, I'll be very candid with it. He's already, there's already been someone that he's met with that really wants to take his story and put it into a, a, a film or a documentary but he's gonna give us the highlights a little bit. Go ahead. Okay, uh, Alvaro Rivas, born in Nicaragua, uh, abandoned when I was three months old. My mom, I was rejecting for my father. He rejected me when I was eight years old. I live on the street, slipping in the park. <clears throat> I, I heard about Jesus, about God. I hate God. I don't believe in Jesus. Uh, does not make sense for me to believe in some, someone say, love you, I love you which I never see. Um, I, I grew up in an orphanage when I was eight years old. I went there. And at the orphanage, it's a Christian orphanage. Always they're talking about Jesus, about God. Always praying for meals. Wake up five o'clock in the morning, uh, Bible study, worship. 
And I never believed that. I said no. But one day, one of my caretaker, he, he was in front of my face and said, I love you. And he hugged me. That was the first time when I heard somebody say, I love you. In that moment, that was God in my life. I, I make a prayer when I was 13 years old. And I say, God, I don't need you. I hate you. I don't like you. I don't know who are you. But if I meet my mother, her name is Fanny. Not funny, funny. <laughs> I, I will believe you. So I, 13 years old, I left the, the orphanage. And I back with my, my aunt, my sister mom. She raised me when I was a child, but she never treated me in a good way. Always, she treated me really bad. And I back with her, and I say, I'm leaving. And she say, where are you going? I'm going to find my mom. And she say, you know where she is? And I say, no. So I have a letter from your mom. Maybe this helped you. So I took the letter and photo. She was. She's in Mexico, married with a man. So I took a bus from Nicaragua to Mexico, but I stuck in Guatemala with $4 in my pocket. I asking people, say, uh, one of the men say, I'm going to this address, can you please help me? And they say, you are far away from <coughs> Mexico, you are in Guatemala. And he said, come to my house, I'm gonna help you. I was there for a couple, one year. And then I, this guy and me working, I saved some money to keep going with my journal because I have uh, a goal I crossed the border from Guatemala to Mexico. I lost my passport, and I'm illegal in Mexico. I was sitting in the, in the small park, small back, but I never lost the envelope address. And then I, a lady came in and said, where are you from? And I shared my story. Come, I will help you. I never thought that God is take care of me in that moment. I was there for six months. I have to speak the accent, Mexican accent. <laughs> because my accent was really uh, Central America. And uh, okay, so finally I called 
operator outside said, I need your help. I have to find this uh, address uh, in a phone, home phone. And she said, I can't do that because that's illegal. But I will help you because I believe in what you're, you're saying to me. So the phone started ringing. And a lady answered the phone. Say bueno, that's mean hello. And my heart started boom, boom. And I don't want to say that's me, Alvaro. I say I'm, I'm a friend of your son, and I have a package for you. And I want to give it to you from him. And she started crying, say, where's my son? Where's my son? It's OK. He's OK. He's good. So I told her the time and the date arrived to her place. 15 years later, I found her in Mexico, north of Mexico, Ciudad Obregón, Sonora. I went on the bus, huge, big bus, and I opened the envelope. I took a, a photo, her and her husband. And she was in front on the bus. And I look her, and I, I, went, I walk in inside the bus, in the small bathroom. I look in the mirror, my face, and I start crying. And I say, you are real, Jesus. And I start crying, and I can't stop crying because Jesus. I walked, watched my face walking out of the bus. Funny, she was looking for the, this guy, waiting for the packet. She didn't know. She left me when I was three months. She never recognized me. And I told her children, I say, it's me. And she say, who, who are you? Your son. And because I born with this, how do you say? Defect. Defect. <laughs> Thank you. She looked in my ear and she said, and she touched me and she hugged me right away. And she said this Forgive me. I have a lot of think inside of me, hate, unloved, unforgiven, a lot. I, I, I carry a lot in my back. And I say inside of me, I hate you. I want to destroy you because I live in the street, because I, born, I grew up in the orphanage, because your family destroyed me. She never expected me there. And then the man, her husband, show up and say, who is this guy? He's my son. And, she, and he jumped like, what? And his name is Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
imagine that. It's no coincidence. <laughs> Honestly. God is good. Take us up to this trip to how you got to LA and how that you went through a like Yuli had his aha, you know, deep moment in terms of his relationship with his wife when he came here. But then you had a situation like that when you ended up in East up in LA, right? Yeah, I definitely I started my relationship with Fanny and and then I started studying in Mexico, working in Mexico. I moved to Tijuana, so I working in Tijuana, and she decided to move with me in Tijuana because she said, I don't wanna lose you again. And, and I said, we are okay. I, I have a friends in, in San Diego, California, so he always invited me to come. Come to San Diego, come live with us in San Diego. So I, I started a new life, moving from Tijuana to San Diego and working in San Diego. I used to work for a company, Little Debbie. I don't know if you heard about Little Debbie, the cookies. So I have a really good life in, in San Diego but I feel empty, so empty. I have everything. And I went to spoke with my pastor because every Sunday I visit church, only Sundays. And, and I say, pastor, I need to talk to you and say yes. And he asked me this, where you come from? Where you came from? I say, okay. So I share my story and say, can I pray for you? Say okay, and and he say, gotta have a plan in your life. And I say, please tell me what is the plan that gotta have in my life. <laughs> and he say, well, you will know. I want to start. Uh, I want to invite you to Young Life. Young Life is a huge organization in the world. So I went to Young Life camp, and I met a boy, and he started like mad, angry, and, and he said, I hate my, my, my parents. And I say, okay, that's me. So I share my testimony with him, and two weeks later, he back to me and hugged me and say, thank you. I already forgive my parents. I went with my parents and forgive them. And I start crying, I say, God, I wanna serve you. I wanna do this for you. And I met Christine Gar. Christine Gar is uh, the director of Young Life in San Diego. And she, she and I, we spoke about back to Nicaragua and served in Nicaragua in 2002. So I did, and she said, Alvaro, you have to live your nice life in America and you have to back to, to Nicaragua with your backpack, that's it and God will provide you. I believe that. I have faith in that. I back to Nicaragua and working with Young Life, working with a lot of kids, drug, alcohol, games. God is good. 
Interesting how he prepared you is because you're living in the States, you had the rare gift of being very fluent in English as well as, you know, Spanish. So that put you in a very unique position. I try to speak English. I'm not really good in English. Sorry, it's my bad if I'm not yeah, yeah, speaking yeah. really good. <laughs> but yes, uh, finally, 2002, back to Nicaragua. But I, I have to do one more thing. Forgive my father when he rejected me when I was eight years old. So I back with his house, and and he passed away, cancer. So I wrote a letter, and I I I said whatever I want to share with him. And I went to cemetery, his grave. His name is Joaquin Rivas. And I, I wrote the letter loud, crying, because I have a lot of things to say to my father. But I say, I forgive you, and you forgive me, Papa. One day, I will get married. If I have a, a son, can you say that, please? Yeah. What? Uh, about my son, when he's from my name? So he, he ended up having a son. And, uh, and Yeah, and I say, I will call him Joaquin. Which was his dad's name. And. 2009, I married. 2011, my fourth child. And his name is Joaquin. 2014, I divorced. I understand about divorce, <laughs> it's not easy. But God is good, healing a lot forgiven in love. So I have a, a son, my son, he's 12 years, 12 years old now. His name is Joaquin. I, I have a family. I have a daughter, her name is Zoe, one years old. I wanna say to you guys that I never expect to come here and live here. I, I work in, for my country in Nicaragua. 22 years working with nonprofit organization, a lot of nonprofit organization from America. I used to work with Embassy of the United States with the Marines, Toys for Tots, and the Ambassador. I never thinking that have to leave my country because right now in the situation Nicaragua is, <clears throat> it's not a good place for me. They put again in my head and say, why you visited the embassy? Why are you doing working with American people? And I said, we are, they are helping my country, your country people in need. 
say we don't want you keep working with the embassy or American people. To give a little backdrop, in 2019, the government became pseudo-socialist in Nicaragua and wanted to control everything. So they, they literally started persecution beyond what you could do. He, he was, when he came up, he was walking down the street with his family and a man came up, put a gun to his head and said, if you continue doing this, you're dead. And this was, that happened in August, I was, this uh, past August of 2022. So if we have a few minutes left, just share really briefly the story of how you got out of Nicaragua, how you got here. Since this story is ongoing, we, we, there's a lot of details, Ms., but I think it's, I, I'd like you just to share a little bit of what it took for you, the commitment that it took for you to leave your family behind and come here seeking political asylum. So, so you got the gun to your head, and then within a few days, you were backpack and you were heading out of Nicaragua. Go ahead. Yeah, I, so as Mr. Ron, he said, they put a gun and we walk in with my wife and my, my child and we back home and cry and say, you have to leave. And I say, I have to leave the country. If, if not, if I'm not leaving the country, they're going to disappear me or kill me. So, I call Yuli and say, I have to leave the country. So I, I never, even I never crossed the border, show my passport, stamp my passport, because if they saw me crossing the border from Honduras, any border, they're gonna get me. So I, I went underground and crossed in, on Nicaragua, Honduras. I used to work for human traffic, and I was part of the human traffic in the container with 140, 150 people in the container. 20-footers, the smaller ones. I mean, think about that. Body to body, 140 people in a small container. How many days were you in there? No windows. Yeah. No windows? No windows. A couple days, and People days. were dying left and right? Couldn't they just because of the conditions? And the only thing that I was thinking in that moment was my kids. And I say, I'm gonna die. This is my last day. Again, I beg him and I ask God, please help me. I don't wanna die here without my family. Finally, we were out of the container was really hard for me to understand about human traffic in those countries. So I'm here in this country. The last thing that I have from my son is this letter. So this, this letter for me means a lot. It gives me a lot of strength in my life. I'm sorry guys, but I'm, I have feeling, <laughs> but I want to say this: God is good, and and thanks, Yuli. I'm a, I'm alive. Yeah. I'm here. Thank you. And.
to sort of to give you an update of where we are and where your prayers could be really, really felt. I mean, in many ways, a fulfillment for Yuli to have a son. You know, we've talked to our Father in Heaven and so forth, but now Yuli is, is Father here in, in the flesh and how God positioned him in the relationship to be here available. How Al's commitment to what he believed in and what he felt God called to go through what he's doing. And his family's still, you know, back in Nicaragua. And he's here now uh, awaiting uh, a judgment to be granted political asylum. It's not a guaranteed. I mean, he just shared with us this morning that they did have scheduled appointment. They were able to get a good attorney to help him, so he's going to get fingerprinted. So he should be able to get a social security card and a driver's license so he can actually earn a living here. And that could be the precursor to allowing his family to come here. But the wisdom that Al, you know, that Al has understanding that many people, you know, we're all used to rushing into things. He knows that if he doesn't provide, he get his act together and provide a good foundation here to bring his family to this country would not do them well, serve them well. He wants his kids to have a, a place and a home. So if you could, I'm gonna like to just close with a word of prayer if you would join me and pray over them. And let's make an appointment, you know, a year from now and have them come back and hear the rest of the story and see how God's working through this young man and, and, a, and a gentleman who just stepped up sacrificially to invest in the life of somebody else who has, of course, implications far beyond just the two of us here. So if you could join me in a word of prayer. Father, it's, it's so special this morning. I feel, and I'm sure many of my brothers here feel similarly to hear this story of redemption, how you redeemed a man who had hate for his parents. You redeemed a man who had a broken life and the thing didn't make sense. And, and, and the, some of the dark moments that they each have felt over the years and just wondering, but somehow, Father, we look at you and say, thank you, you showed up. You showed up big time with the right relationships, the right connections, the right hearts, the willing to help. But Father, we just want to lift up Al and, and Yuli, but Al and also Al's family that's back in Nicaragua. We seek and you seek, Father, your, their protection for them and just to guide them and, and let them, let you be the leader and that know the timing and put the pieces together because we, because they have faith. They have faith is that you will fulfill that which you promised in their life. And we just thank you that they have clarity on their call because their conviction is going to, Father, it's going to be touching so many lives. We thank you for that, that you've provided that grace and that mercy. So as we, as we adjourn this day, may we, once again, each one of us reflect maybe where we're positioned and where we can be to someone like Yuli has been to Al. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers, have a great week. <laughs>